Hey, dude. What the Mark Johnson do you want? Excuse me? Did I Damien Noyes stutter, you dumb Leslie Martin? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dan, why are you just saying the names of listeners? Oh, my bad. You know how we decided not to swear starting in 2019? Yeah, it, it drives me crazy because sometimes I really want to swear. Yeah, of course you do. Everybody does. Swearing is normal. It, just like putting mayonnaise on your pizza or owning enough Adidas pants to choke a Tarasque. So I came up with this clever workaround. All we do is replace swears with the names of our listeners. That is the best Burt Millard idea I've ever heard. Cameron Bridge, you're right it is! So when are we starting this Bailey Scruffy Lamore Drulliard show? As soon as I drop that Brett Brangan beat! Karen, you ready? It's about to drop. Do it! Dungeons and Dragons. Dan here. I started out in 5e. And me? I was sitting behind the DM screen. Yeah, that was three short years ago. I built a dragonborn fighter with no gusto. Fast forward a year. We're buying supplements and copping brand new gear. Incessantly making characters for one another. The only one who cared, of course, was our brother. Building new characters, score them all day. Each and every week, a brand new baby. How's their melee? How's their range? How's their magic? How controlling? How to range? That's not a category. Just keep going. Uh, I think we were here? Grab a comfy chair and a glass of mead. Another fresh episode in your feed. Other podcasts can be kind of drab. This ain't one, it's the Character Lab. Welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around one thing we as players cannot resist. And that is compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about their validity in-game. Each week, we're bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of published content, and scoring it against a predefined table of criteria. It is then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Hey, I'm Dan. And I'm Garen, and this week, it is all over. End of the world! The apocalypse is upon us, and our lab has become our safe haven and bunker. Little did we know that reading Sir Elkion's Guide to Surviving the Apocalypse would actually bring the dang thing on, but here we are. The book contains several ways for your world to end, like an undead horde, machine uprising, or crushing freeze, but we personally have been subjected to a rapture. Now that, of course, is when all the good souls are taken up to the heavens, so Gare and I are, uh, well, we're still here, but our owlbear buddy Stephen Colbert got raptured real fast. We'll see you again one day, you sweet little thing. Now, the upside, guys, is we have plenty of time down here with the rest of the Cretans to enjoy this book by Ann Gregerson, which has over 130 pages of end-the-day's glory in a complete campaign setting for both DMs and players. But, since we are a player-based show, we're only going to build characters. So let me tell you about my character for this week. When the change happened, people scattered, hid out, tried to survive. Living in small communities behind walls or underground, trying to stay on the right side of life as long as possible for the eventual tide took them. Idiots. The first I heard of the dead walking and feasting on the living, I knew which team I wanted to be on. Predator or prey? Why spend my life running? I walked out of my crappy little lean-to in the poor farming town I spent my life toiling and sought out the first husk I could find. I jammed my arm in his mouth before he could even make a move. Once his rotten and broken teeth pierced my flesh, I drove a trowel through his lopsided skull and yanked it out. The wound in my arm festered, becoming more painful as time went on. 
I felt my head get hot and strangely light. My body began to decompose from the inside out. I mean, at first, it's hard to notice, but soon you can actually hear your intestines start to squish and slop inside under the gray and dull skin. And none of this matters, though, because I constantly feel myself getting stronger. I walked out among the husks while my change took place, using their levels of rot to determine where I was at in the process. It's kind of fun, you know, watching yourself die and be reborn at the same time. When I finally felt like I'd turned enough, I decided to bite my first warm blood. Their screams were electric, and for a moment I could almost feel my heart beat again. I didn't give them the option to turn. Later on I would, but this first one, I wanted to savor every morsel. People taste better than common opinion would make you believe. I mean, halflings, downright delicious. Something about their natural diet, I think. Things get a little blurry after that. I start to lose track of time often and find myself coming to standing ankle deep in gore and in a new town freshly destroyed. And if you ask me, the world hasn't come to an end. It's just evolved again, entered a new age. Anytime that shift happens, it's always the most capable that flourish and rewrite the subsequent generations. This one's just been a bit bloodier than the softies would have wanted. But after 30 years of repetitive farming, it's the best kind of retirement a fella could ask for. So I bring Brass. He is a level 10 psycho barbarian. He is of the Husk race, which is, of course, Anne Gregerson's take on zombies. And he is the raider background, because he just kind of roams around doing what he wants. He's a bad boy. And we have our first narrative backstory in the lab. I'm a little bit freaked out by this guy. I, I think that he might be doing some serious damage output. I wanted to really get in under his skin, you know, which is not hard when they're a zombie. You just kind of slop it over you like an old cloak. Yeah, you could actually just, like, slap it on with a paintbrush. Mm-hmm. Real nice and loosey-goosey. You know what? And dried mayonnaise helps it stick a little bit. I'm excited to dive in a little bit more when we get to the competition, but first and foremost, I need to tell you about how the world ended for my girl Amzies. The year is 2400 in the Sword Coast. A strange pandemic has overcome many of the people in the region. The sickness was likened to that of a slow, progressive internal combustion of sorts. Glowing veins with a slow, growing warmth that radiates outward through the skin, followed quickly by a glowing burn of your eyes. Your skin starts to actually burn to the touch, followed by an actual combustion of the body and a disintegration into ashes. No physicians could act fast enough to figure out what the origin of the problem was, as just 16 hours after being exposed to the affected patient, they themselves were reduced to a mere pile of ashes. This pandemic eventually ravages the entirety of the Sword Coast, wiping out races and creatures of all kinds in the region. Many hundreds more years pass. Faerun is a constant flaming inferno, an idyllic world for archdevils and demons to thrive. Demon lords of the various levels of hell begin to recognize the potential of this new world and send troops to the newly singed Faerunian world to claim it as their own. Levistus, Asmodeus, and Mephistopheles send their icy warriors, while Mammon and Glacia send up more covert journeymen to loot the area of any treasure or items that may be deemed of any value. But most powerful of all were the skilled militiamen and women 
of the Cult of Zariel. Able to materialize from the mere ashes that remain from the Faerun's former living inhabitants, Zeriel's skilled militia is able to shift into the form of beings that used to walk the land and attack with ferocity. One of these skilled, shifting cultist combatants in the post-apocalyptic version of Faerun is Amzis, a 400-year-old Zeriel variant tiefling. She is a level 10 Circle of Embers druid, Cult of Zeriel with the cultist background. The subclass and background can be found in Sir Alkian's Surviving the Apocalypse Guide and the Variant Tiefling and the Cult of Zeriel, along with seven other cults and tiefling variants, can be found in Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. It sounds very high-powered, just hearing the backstory. It's very concerning. She sounds godlike. Spoiler alert, she's powerful. Okay. Spoiler alert, you're not going to like me this episode because it's not really fair. Well, it, it, it is a druid, and you know which categories I'm going to be very weak in, so I think we all kind of see how this is shaping up, but I'm going to give it my best effort. I'm going to act like this is my last shot, that the world's coming to an end. Well, you know what, Garen? You need your doomsday kit? Look no further than Tabletop Loot. Their site is full of all of the essentials and even more heart. They have shirts, mugs, tote bags, and hordes and hordes of dice. What really makes this place special is they regularly support gaming in schools by having sales where each and every set of dice purchased means that one will be donated to a school gaming program. And what's more, their dice selection cannot be beat. We don't have time to go through them all this week, so I'm going to highlight the one that I would use when playing Amzies. And that's Radioactive Sunset with its glowing orange and yellow. Yeah, it glows so much that it even lights up in the dark. It's perfect for those post-apocalyptic nights without power. And you know what? When you click the link in our show notes or head on over to tabletoploot.com, you just enter the code LABRAT and you get 15% off your total purchase. And that works on everything in the store except the Metal Norse Foundry dice. But let me tell you, those are awful swell as well. So grab some fresh loot and give Boring the Boot. Thank you, Dan, and Tabletop Loot for that message. Now, guys, if you're just joining us, this is where we explain the show format. We have established nine categories that we think perfectly illustrate what a character should be. And we score each category between a minus two and a positive two. A positive two is like having a bunker stocked and ready. And a minus two is being the first person to have their face bitten off by a zombie because they thought that dude was just kind of (laughs) sick. Finally, once per show, each of us will be able to force the other to roll for the score in which we are arguing as a charisma save using the charisma score for our character. Then at the end, whoever has the most points wins. It's that simple. Now, It's time to get down to it, and we always start off with what is the bread and butter of a character, and that is their melee combat. How well do they throw down? Well, don't mind if I do. Amzies is arguing a plus two here. She's got a flame tongue scimitar that deals out 1d6 plus 3 slashing plus 2d6 fire damage. She also is able to wild shape into any CR1 beast twice per short rest. That's including a dire wolf, a lion, a giant hyena, a tiger... And she's got something as a Cult of Zariel trait. That's called Ferocious Surge. Again, this is in Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, and it states that if you hit with an attack that is not a crit, you can choose to make it a crit once per short rest. I mean, that's great, but it's not a plus two, especially when you're up against a level 10 Barbarian. Okay, I'll take a plus one. But you also only have one attack per round, right? Yeah, but it deals out nine plus two D6, and then I can make it a crit. All right, uh, you'll probably get a plus one. I've got two attacks, plus seven to hit, one d12, plus six damage, when I'm raging, of course. I got four rages, I got reckless attack, brutal critical, and I have got my sixth level feature of being a psycho barbarian, and that is called blood and gore. I love these fun ability names. 
You laugh in the face of pain. So while you're raging, you can choose to not take resistance when you get hit with damage. So the creature that hits you, then on your turn, you are designating them basically a target. And from that point till the beginning of your next turn, that creature takes an additional 1d6 weapon damage whenever they get hit. Boy, and you know what? You might be taking more than 1d6 damage, so I'm not quite sure I'd be using that. But it's a cool feature nonetheless. Well, I think I'd know who was attacking me. Like, I wouldn't let the fire giant with his sword do full damage to me. Of course not. But, like, if some punk kobold steps up on brass, I'd be like, yeah, stab me with your sword. About to get wrecked. Because I feel like this is going to be your strongest category, at 10th level, you are a barbarian. I think you're going to roll here. This is going to be an even zero for me on the uh, charisma modifier. So, Argon for a plus two. The DC is 17. You need to roll a natural 17 or better. Natural 20. Oh, he gets a plus three, folks. He gets a plus three. Oh. That's how it works here in the lab. A natural 20 is a plus three. A natural one is a minus three. We don't even talk about that because it doesn't happen enough. That might have just made this a close match. I'm feeling so good about this now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So take us into ranged. What kind of ranged weapon damage does your barbarian do? Simple. All the barbarian stuff, all the stuff I already said, and I'm using a javelin. So I think it's a plus one instead. Simple enough. I'm arguing a minus two. I have no ranged weapon. You are officially creaming me, but we are so, so early on. And we're moving into burninating, where I tend to shine. One could say, I glow. I'm arguing a plus one. I have heat metal, flame strike, which is an area effect, deals out 4d6 fire and 4d6 radiant damage on a failed deck saver, half as much on a success. Fireball, mm -hmm. flame arrows, wall of fire, searing smite, branding smite. I have immolation, which is a fifth level evocation spell. And basically you target a creature, they have to make a deck saving throw and they take 8d6 fire damage on a failed saver, half as much on a successful one. And on a failed save, they also burn for the spell's duration. Oh. No! No! And they shed light in a 30-foot radius, and at the end of each of its turns, they have to take a saving throw, and they continue to take 4d6 fire damage for oh. each failed save for the duration of the spell. It can't be extinguished by non-magical means. I love that spell. They're just burning. They have no choice. They're just burning. They're burning, man. Burning Man is basically people role-playing the apocalypse, isn't it? Kind of. Only a lot smellier than what I think the apocalypse would be. Yeah, we'd still find ways to bathe. What do you think for a plus one? That's a ton of fire damage. Yeah, so the only reason I'm arguing plus one is my spell slots. That's the reason that I'm not going plus two here. Yeah, I'm not going to nitpick. If you ran up against something that was resistant to fire damage, you wouldn't be as impressive as you are. But very few things are, really, so... I'll take that plus one to the bank. What do you got, sir? You know, I'm actually going to argue a plus one here as well because... My level three feature is called Psychotic Rage. And what I do is once per long rest, but that actually becomes twice per long rest at 10th level, fortunately for me, I can choose to really go in to my Psycho Rage. And when I do, all of my rage damage that I deal becomes psychic damage. And I become resistant to psychic damage. And if I hit a creature that's below half of its hit point maximum, I deal an additional 1d6 psychic damage. So that is for the duration of my rage. I like it a lot, but I'm gonna put this right on keel with a key empowered strikes, which we agreed is a zero. I really like it, but it's just kind of a little bit modified melee damage. Certainly not as potent as what I'm bringing to the table. You make a strong argument, but to be fair, this is juicier than key empowered strikes because we've said that two dozen times. Agreed. So you'll take your zero, I'll take a one. Let's move into control. What kind of battlefield control are you bringing? What are you bringing off the battlefield? 
Got a couple of things, a couple of really nice things here. First of all, Feral Instinct, it's a barbarian feature. Quick question, Dan, because I honestly, I did not know the answer to this, but I feel like every now and then this could be fun to quiz ourselves. Do you know at what level a barbarian gets Feral Instinct and what it does? Eighth level? Okay, and what does it do? Is it like advantage on some sort of a save or something? You're not terribly far off, and take no shame in that, because like I said, I totally forgot about it. It is seventh level, and it's advantage on initiative. Oh, yes, yes, advantage on initiative, yes. Yeah. Got it. So feel free to throw one of those at me. I would be curious to see how well I do. So that's part of my control category. I also have my 10th level feature, Feral Savagery. My brutal killings strike fear into the hearts of those around me. I am killing people so badly that people are shook. Bruh. When I reduce a creature to zero, each hostile creature within 60 feet, 60 feet, must make a wisdom save, which is not terribly difficult because it is my charisma modifier, but it's 8 plus proficiency plus charisma, so it's only a DC 12. On a failed save, that creature becomes frightened. They can repeat it at the end of their turns. Also, as being a husk, I have Vapor of Spores, because I am just so gross and full of decomposition inside of me. As an action, I release a cloud of spores from my mouth that affect those near standing around me. Each creature within 5 feet must make a con save, which is 8 plus my con modifier plus my proficiency bonus, and that is actually a 17. Pretty high. Or they become poisoned for one minute, but they can repeat it at the end of each of their turns. So that is a short or long rest recharge, but Feral Savagery is whenever I reduce a creature to zero. So I like the functionality of that, because that could happen quite a bit. I think I'm pushing for a one on this. Yeah, and you know what? You're pretty much dead even with me. Also, I would like to take a moment and just acknowledge how cool the imagery is of this just opening the mouth. You're disgusting, and these noxious spores just pour out of your mouth, and people are just getting sick while you're around them. Really cool stuff. I'm arguing a plus one here as well. I took the Flame of Phlegathos feet out of Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and it's actually when you roll fire damage for a spell you cast, which for me is all of my spells, you can re-roll any one you roll and use the new roll. Whenever you cast a spell that deals out fire damage, you can wreathe yourself in flames until the end of your next turn, and any creature that hits you with a melee attack within five feet of you takes 1d4 fire damage. There's no limit to the amount of times I can use that. Oh, no limit. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's not an incredible amount of damage, but it's kind of like a hellish rebuke, kind of just automatically every time you're casting a spell. I also have the pyrotechnic spell, which we make fun of sometimes on this show, but it has a great deal of control. It makes a billowing amount of smoke, it makes it difficult terrain, makes it difficult to see. Also, I took the cultist background out of this supplement, and it's called Join the Cause, which is the background feature. And basically, you have followers, and their followers can offer you assistance, including offerings of a place of rest, as well as food and minor supplies if you need it. So obviously, my boys, my girls, they got my back. And then as a circle of Ember's Druid, I have a trait called Coils of Fire, which is really, really cool. You get it at second level, and you can use an action to target a piece of wood, a section of grass, or another inanimate plant life within 60 feet of you and send a small moat of flame towards it, instantly turning it into embers. As part of the same action, you can will coils of dark burning energy to form from these embers, rising as fiery whips and sending them coiling towards a creature within 20 feet of the location it spawned from. The creature must make a deck saving throw against your druid spell save DC or become restrained as the coils wrap around it. A restrained creature takes 3d6 fire damage at the beginning of each of its turns, and it may repeat the save at the beginning of each of its turns after it has taken the fire damage, ending the restrained effect on a success. 
Mm-hmm. So when it's freed from the coils, the embers fall to the ground as flakes of ash and flowers would sprout as they land. So it's very druid craft in its flavor. Uh, you can use this feature a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier, which is two for me. And you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So I really like the flavor on this one. Good deal of control. I'm arguing a plus one to, to match you in control. Okay. I think if you're in agreement with that, I'm also in agreement with that. I do want to backtrack very quickly to Flames of Flagathos. Flagathos? Close enough, right? What I like about that is because I find when being a player, especially right now I'm playing a wizard and you've got to track all those spell slots and your spell slots are basically your life, right? But that's what makes things like that feature and really fun cantrips feel so much more valuable to me because then you have options and you're not so much worried about resources feeling like you're losing your resources when you're out there and you don't know when the long rest is coming that is a really vulnerable feeling so it's always great when i find something that can be used whenever you want just to have an option you know agreed and you know i had never seen this feat prior to creating this character and i thought this would be a perfect way to expose it out to the public because i don't think a lot of people know about some of the feats that are in zannies yeah that's an that's an excellent point so moving into tankiness um i'm arguing a plus one here so i got my lowest point here is that i have an ac of 12 with a shield whoa but whoa yeah yeah because i have a minus one dex so even with leather armor and a shield, it's at a 12. She's got 100 HP. She's also able to wild shape two times per long rest into a CR1 creature, a little beefy. Resistance to fire damage as a tiefling, but I also took the Infernal Constitution feat, which gives me resistance to cold and poison damage as well. Oh, nice. And so I'm, I'm arguing a plus one. Okay. I've got three resistances. I've got 100 HP. You know, I'm, I'm fairly beefy in the HP department. We can't discount the wild shape. Yes, and how do you know how much HP one of your wild shapes like a dire wolf would have? Yeah, so a dire wolf would have 37 hit points. Okay, so you have a modified 174 hit points. With an AC, mind you, on a dire wolf that's higher than Amzie's herself. Right, well that's good, that's good. Here's the bad news. You have a modified <laughs> HP of 174 when you've wild shaped twice. I have 180, just base. You take the tough feet. I did not take the tough feat. I bumped my con up to 20 because I'm a zombie and zombies are hard to kill. So that gives me an unarmored AC of 17. I got danger sense and my husk body means that I'm dead. Oh my God. And uh, I am immune to disease. I'm resistant to poison damage and I have advantage on saving throws against being poisoned. So I don't feel like this is a plus two because I don't have enough options but I feel like I'm much more tanky than you. So this is either a two to a one or a one to a zero. Whatever you want. I'll take a zero, you take a one. The math is easier. All right. All right. So moving into ally assist, you as a barbarian, I can't imagine you're very strong in this category. Prove me wrong. Okay, hold on. Before we go into that, that I forgot to say, when, when I'm in my psychotic rage and I reduce a creature to zero hit points, I gain temporary hit points equal to my barbarian level, which is 10. That's another little beefy spot. Before I talk about my ally assist, because it's a doozy, you're not going to see this coming, I do want to talk uh, quickly to the listeners. Uh, this is our ally assist section, and we want to talk to you about reviews again. They keep us going. We appreciate all the five-star reviews we've been getting on iTunes lately. So we're actually going to read one. I'm going to read one right here from Squanty Python. He calls it hilarious, awesome, other good adjectives. It's an awesome podcast. Normally, I don't write reviews. Actually, I take that back. I've never written a view in my life. And I think this one deserves the honor of being my first. Thank you, Squanty. 
I love this podcast so much. It's funny, entertaining, the chemistry between the hosts is hilarious, and I've never had so much fun listening to two people arguing in my whole life. I'm writing this review because I needed something to take a break from the lovable loser episode so I could start breathing normally again. No, they weren't all that funny to me, but just because each and every one didn't make me laugh so hard it threatened to suffocate me doesn't mean they weren't funny. I like that he qualified that. Thank you guys so much for what you do. Keep up the good work and more lovable losers. You're so much more intense and funny when your previous losers are what you're using. So thank you, Squanty Python. Not a bad idea, Dan. We might have to do another lovable loser episode because we have a lot to draw from. Well, I don't know about you, but in 2019, I have quite a few lovable losers. I got a lot of characters that I care about that we haven't brought them back. So if you take the time to write us a review on iTunes, we will read them in future episodes. Thank you so much for that five-star review, Squanty Python. And now, my turn. He has so little ally assist, I forgot to write it on my argument sheet. Minus two. I skipped it entirely. I was going to say, no, Dan, it's ability balance. And then I went, oh, nope. Well, that's okay, because mine is a little bit of a stretch. I'm, I'm at a minus one, because I have something, and it's, like, arguably better than nothing. It's a Cult of Zariel trait called Infernal Tactics. And when you roll initiative, you can switch places with up to three people that you can see. Just to clarify, you can switch your order with one of the other three people? No, with up to three people. So you just rearrange the initiative order? That's correct. It kind of throws out the purpose of rolling initiative then. And there's no limit at the number of uses? Well, no, it's, it's a cult trait. Cults are very powerful. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. All right, so moving into balance, I'm arguing a plus one here. I don't think I've had a plus two in balance in a long time. I don't think I have either. You usually got a dump stat here, and, and this week, unfortunately, it's dex. So I have a strength of 16, dex of 9, which hurts that AC. It hurts a lot. Constitution of 14, intelligence of 10, wisdom of 14, charisma of 14. I've got proficiency in arcana, survival... And I have advantage against being poisoned, passive perception of 12. Also have a spell save DC of 14 and a plus 6 on those ranged spell attacks. Mm -mm -mm. All that said, I think that is fairly balanced, but that dex hurts. You know what? Roll for this one. So I have a plus 2 in the charisma category. I think this is the first time anybody's ever rolled for balance. <laughs> I just gotta use it. Rolled a 17 plus 2 is 19. I will take my plus 1. I'm also going to argue a plus one, I guess. Got strength of 16, dex of 14, con of 20, intelligence of 9, wisdom of 9, and charisma of 10. Okay, so obviously pretty imbalanced here. Uh, real yeah. quick, my I got uh, athletics, deception, animal handling, intimidation, and survival. Now, if you think about it, my build and all of my skills are based around a character that was a farmer and has now moved into a zombie. So I was focusing on those kinds of things. So my build makes sense for my backstory, but it's pretty, I mean, I geared it so much to just be like a powerhouse. I think you're talking yourself into a zero. I got no problem with a zero. I mean, I'm not gonna regret it. Yeah, two minus one modifiers, it's tough to square that circle. That farmer was just, he was just farmer, man. Nothing wrong with farming. All right, so we are moving into the finale part of the show where, of course, we have a Christmas scenario submitted to us by one of our patrons, and it's Ben Potts. You ask Ben Potts for a Christmas scenario, and he's like, 13 seconds later, bam, here's a new idea. I like that. Yeah, the guy can just churn them out. It's pretty insane. Well, you know, Dan, he wrote a book. He did? Thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, it's so great to get to know these guys and, and gals and just become friends with people that we would never have a chance to meet in any other circumstance. So this is really fun. And also, a lot of them are brilliant creators themselves. So 
a lot of really talented people out in this community. It's been a pleasure making this show because of all of the cool people we get to meet. And honestly, when you become a patron at just $1 a month, we get to talk to you all day long, and you get to learn more about us than you ever wanted to. Yeah, recently we met Gil and Shades. Thank you, guys. So Ben wrote, Your latest client is a powerful mage who accidentally sold his ring of three wishes to a young couple about to get married. The ring ended up on the bride's finger, and as luck would have it, her birthday is this day before the wedding. You need to get that ring off her finger somehow before her birthday cake comes out and she needs to make a birthday wish, because who knows what might happen if she does. Still, try and find a way to not ruin the impending wedding by having the bride lose her wedding ring. Okay, so I've got the bad reputation feature as my background because of my connection with this dangerous gang of raiders. People are likely to let me get away with small things. So... I saunter into, as I wrote, the wedding with my crew, and I tell the groom to just, like, trade me rings. Like, I just bring this other ring, and I'm like, come on, just do it. Like, I'm using my best mafia persona with my stank dead breath here, like, all up in his face. And I'm like, look. It's possible he gets poisoned from you just talking to him. Just talking to him. And I'm like, this ring is even worth more. I got a plus four to deception check, so let's see how I sell on that one. That's a modified 10, so not great. Look, no one is inviting you to their wedding if you smell that bad. Though. She'll still have a ring. Just trade rings with me. So, so that's it. I use deception checks and my background feature to try and swap rings. Yeah, so this is actually going to be a minus one because you actually got this completely wrong. Because her birthday is the day before the wedding, so you're supposed to figure this out by the day before the wedding. You have failed miserably. <laughs> you're very nonchalant about this whole thing. You're like, oh... Yeah, so I show up at the wedding, you're a day late and a dollar short, and you just, like, lean over with your stank breath, and you're just like, hey, and you, uh, would you think about, uh, giving that ring back? We could swap it. <laughs> and you just stink. It's minus one. I mean, it's not smooth at all. I'm sh- I imagine your shirt is untucked. Oh, yeah, and it's got somebody else's blood on it. Yeah, and your, your skin's kind of flapping off. Yeah, minus one. I mean, I got no problem with that. I'm arguing a plus one, so I'd cast Thaumaturgy, which is granted to me by being a Zariel Tiefling, and I would cast it on the ring. I would make it whisper nonstop. I'd have it be all creepy whispers, too. I would just stay up day and night to make sure that I was with range of this thing at all times until she figured out that it was the ring that was whispering and that it was cursed. I would have it saying all sorts of cursed stuff so that there was no question about it. I would then approach her after a couple of days prior to her birthday, and I would say, hey... I really love your ring and offer her double what she paid for it. Mmm. Plus one. So where are you getting that money from? I'm in cahoots with a devil. Wealth and riches, no problem. But uh, arguably devils have no cause for mortal currency. Have you looked into Mammon and Glacia? They're all about that treasure. Oh, you're right. Dude. Yeah. I spent some time in Mammon's hell. Remember that? You sure did. I was dead for a while. So I, I think it's a plus one. Yeah, that was pretty good. And what am I going to say after what my argument was? So go ahead. <laughs> I'm also arguing a plus one in the aggressive scenario. Not as impressive, but very easy because I have heat metal. So I would heat the ring. <laughs> okay, see, so yeah, that's, that's super aggressive. Honestly, it's super aggressive because either... She figures out a way, like puts on like a pot holder or something on her other hand and takes that thing off, or she loses her finger and it cooks. Oh, yikes. So that's a plus one. It's pretty much made for this scenario. 
Okay. So we already know that I messed this up. So I think I need a little bit of a reprieve on the second one because that aside, my spitting fire is pretty good. So since I'm a husk, I pose as a corpse at a funeral in the next church over. And as the wedding is getting set up and the bride is in her suite getting dressed, I drag my coffin right outside the door of her bridal suite and I knock on the door and I climb back in. So she thinks somebody accidentally delivered a corpse to her bridal suite and she freaks out. And she demands her maid of honor go and figure out what the heck is happening. And as the maid of honor tries to climb over my unusually large casket, I tumble out and release my vapor of sports. So the bride gets sick and starts vomiting. And I scamper off so when her maid of honor comes back with her mother-in-law, soon to be, the mother-in-law thinks that the bride is already pregnant and then the wedding is called off so the problem is solved. Oh, there's a lot of presumptions here. Why would they call off the wedding if she's pregnant? No, that's even more of a reason to get married. What are you doing? You are a dishonest woman, and I don't want my son marrying you. Who, who knows it's even his child? <laughs> a lot of assumptions here. Most of them incorrect at this point. This, this is, is not good either, Garen. No, this one's, this one's pretty good. Zero. Hold on, let's, let's listen to the judges. No! Yeah, it's okay, that's a zero. Why would they call off the wedding if she was with child? As I was typing it out, it made perfect sense. So it was just aggressively wrong. That's the only thing that was aggressive about that. If I had spent more time reading things that were written down, this end of this episode would have gone much smoother for me. Speaking of the end of the episode, before we give out the scores, let's move into the X Factor, which kind of discusses the supplement and also talks about whether or not you would like to play this character that you built this week. And Garen, I'll let you start. Okay, I would not want to play a full campaign as a barbarian, but that's only because I recently played most of my campaign as a barbarian. And while this sort of crazy psycho rage is awesome, this would be super fun for a one-shot, because I would just love to go nuts on people. I mean, you're not going down. All that temporary HP and everything. I love the psychic damage just for its flavor. Racking people's brains with the way you're raging so hard. That's a lot of fun. I think the husk race is very successful. I think it's only the second zombie race that I have read and it's definitely my favorite zombie race because it's a it's an original take on it and the vapor of spores feature particularly was really good so I definitely enjoy this this character for a, a short-term effect but that's just because it's a barbarian how about you yeah so Garen I'll agree with you I really enjoyed the husk race and so there's two other races in here uh, I would have used one if I'm not such a stubborn jerk and I had a backstory in mind I also thought that it was about time that we bring Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes back into the mix and start exposing a little bit more of those tiefling variants. Really cool stuff out of that supplement. Also, they have those boons and cults in there. But another thing that I did not mention about this character specifically, at 10th level of this druid circle, you gain resistance to fire damage. So that wasn't covered because the tiefling already had it, but you can also see through heavily obscured areas uh, like smoke and all the other stuff. So that was the 10th level feature. It didn't really benefit my character specifically, but very cool. Additionally, there was something called Cinder Fever, which the backstory that I explained, that pandemic was actually based off of Cinder Fever. And this supplement has different scenarios of the apocalypse, including uh, sicknesses and, and all sorts of things for various situations so if say the inferno as being the apocalyptic scenario and gregerson puts in four or five different scenarios of how the world would end via an inferno so it's just a really cool supplement a lot of good plot hooks in addition to character options would i play this character specifically 
uh, it's it's a little bit one-dimensional. I made it very one-dimensional. I, I would have this as an NPC at the table, no question. And it's, you know, safe to say that in 2019 with the two spider characters that I've had from Lolf's Army, as well as this uh, Cult of Zariel Tiefling, I've built a, a number of NPCs so far this year. Uh, so nothing very specific to a character uh, coming out of me this week. Overall, Ann Gregerson, another great supplement in addition to Little Heroes, which we featured on this show as well. She's got other great PDFs, including Asterix Astounding Atrocities on DMs Guild. It contains over 50 new magic items, and Antonia Lupris Ravenloft's cookbook that contains a bunch of recipes so that you can actually cook with magical side effects. Yes, and Sir Alkion's Guide to Surviving the Apocalypse is available on DMs Guild for $12.95. You get those 139 pages of professional content, and it's an Electrum bestseller as of this recording. I mean, I think it's also clear that she has really great names for her products, as the ones you listed in, in this one. Much underrated feature of a quality D&D download, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely, Garen. So now comes the time where we expose who reigns supreme this week. And I think just like any good apocalypse, Dan... Nobody wins. Because of my nat 20, I managed to hang on for a 3-3 three to three boring old tie. Well, quite a fitting end to this episode, and thank you again to Ann Gregerson for sending us this lovely supplement. Guys, be sure to check that out on DMs Guild, and be sure to return next week as we return with an episode showing off content exclusively from our partners over at Crit Academy. Now, I know you guys have heard of their show because a lot of our listeners are also their listeners, uh, but their excellent D&D discussion-based show has been running for a few years now, and in that time, they've actually come up with their own player option supplements, so be sure to come back and see just what they're cooking up over there. Zippity zappity. Until then, remember, when it comes to character creation, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Lab, and all episodes for that matter. Yeah, but if you left this episode just wanting more, you can join us on Patreon for tons of bonus content. At our lowest tier, you can join our Discord and participate in fan battles and have access to all PDF content that we post. You can even chat with us throughout the day. For just a little bit more, you get two bonus episodes a month and access to the entire backlog of Fight Clubs, Monster Labs, and special interviews that we've been pumping out since March of 2018. Patrons in the next tier get early access to our regular show, sometimes as much as nine days prior to release date. They also get PDFs of the character sheets for the characters that we've built in the 2019 episodes and beyond, and they can submit a smooth operator or spitting fire charisma scenario that we will use in each and every episode. And our top, top tier patrons get merch a couple times a year, have a chance to submit characters, and can sway the fates with automatic crits and fails on our charisma rolls during the show. At any level, we hope to bring you more fun. We love working on this show and the support of our patrons helps continue to make it better. If you're digging the new audio production that began in 2019, just know that it wouldn't be possible without those that already donate. And we have more plans to beef up the lab and we need your help to do it. But however you support us, we thank you. We hope to have you back next week. Head over to our Facebook and Twitter at DD Character Lab for some previews of what to expect and lots of links to other great community content. Until Wednesday, peace, love, and point by. Oh, sh- I thought this was the wedding day. That really screws up my argument. That's okay, because I also did not interpret this the same way after now hearing it out loud. For Like, some I reason. read it like a normal person reads something, <laughs> but then I get this completely different impression as to what I've just read. I just had that same thing happen to me. Okay. So. All right, so here's this what I do. This ought to be do. interesting.